Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode two of Power Players, hosted by me, Danielle McCart. Hopefully you've listened to episode one by now with radio pioneer Susan Waldman. I haven't been at this for quite such a long time, but I have experienced some of what Susan Waldman mentioned in my previous podcast, the having to tolerate the nonsense part. I and all of my contemporaries have her and others like her to thank. For my new listeners, and even for my established ones, I feel as though I need to back up. As Susan did in episode one, I talk about my start a little bit. First, you have to know that on career day in elementary school, every single year, I drew myself in a Yankees uniform. I wanted to be the first girl Yankee player. Well, seeing as though that hasn't happened, I don't think it ever will. I played on some competitive sports in my day. I played volleyball, basketball, and baseball my entire life. Well, yes, baseball with the boys. And I was good in I still am, but they made me switch to softball my freshman year of high school. I responded by making the team as the only freshman, one of only two other underclassmen as a shortstop. So as we sit here in February of 2020, in total, I've been at this for real a little over four years. And by this, I mean sports media. I didn't graduate with a degree in communications from a powerhouse school. Quite the opposite, actually. I label myself alternative route. I've been a public school classroom teacher of Italian since April of 2009. And maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, well, she's a teacher and how does she have time to do all this stuff? Blah, blah. First of all, teachers don't have off in the summer times. It's not, it's not what you guys think it is. It's, that's, that's first and foremost. I got to tell you that it is possible to do both and to be good at both. And that's not cocky. That's confident because the statistics are there. And by statistics, I mean this. In, in the teaching profession, the evaluation model was introduced probably in my third year out of 10 of teaching. And I got to tell you something. I received perfect scores since then. 4.0 every single time in the strong plus. Well, first it was strong evaluation model. Then it evolved into the strong plus evaluation model. Perfect score every time. So what I'm trying to say is, one, it's not too late to do a, a little switcheroo or to just pursue a hobby. Two, it's possible to be good at more than one thing. Hey Danielle, it's Erica from New Jersey. I think confidence is a huge part of this industry. So I guess my question is, how did you and when did you find your voice? I think that's an awesome question because Erica, and thanks for that. I love the word confidence. And I have in my Twitter bio, if you look right now, a quote from Hope Solo, who was the US Women's National Team goalie. My confidence comes from my work ethic. This is a motto I live by like in my every facet of life. My confidence comes from my work ethic. I never show up anywhere unprepared, including on the radio. And what I mean by being unprepared is I just I don't just sit in front of a microphone and talk sports for four hours. It's it's not that. You know, you have to know exactly what you're talking about. You have to anticipate the phone calls that are gonna be coming in to to you and to your show. And knowing all that and being able to back up your opinions with statistics and narratives, that is the confidence that I'm talking about. So in terms of finding a voice, it started with the blog. And when I realized that people were, were reading it, then I realized that I had something, I guess, 
unique to offer. I didn't know that. I think this whole profession is a lot of people are just trying to have hot takes and put their name out there. And whether it's good or bad, they want people to talk about them, whether they're right or wrong. Being right is important to me. I'd like to be right in in a lot of things. I'm not out to make me into a hot take machine or anything like that. I have level-headed takes that just make sense. That's who I am. Things just make sense. I guess I'm a logical person in general. So when I put my logical sports takes out there, I don't know, I guess it might be unique to some people that are used to hearing the talking heads and the, I don't know, I just I just think I have a unique perspective to offer to people. And I think just being yourself and putting out there what your thoughts are, well put together thoughts, that's going to attract people. Either agree with you or disagree with you. And disagreeing is fine. But you can disagree with me, but you better be bringing your own take, level-headed take with that. No hot takes allowed. This whole thing, this whole sports media thing, started my senior year of college at a small school in northern New Jersey. It was fall of 2009. I had taken a sports media course on Wednesday nights from 6 to 9.30 p.m. with Professor Perry. And the only reason why I took this course was because all of my major requirements were filled and I just needed credits. So I took something that was interesting to me. Sports. Okay. And media. I did a, I remember I did a presentation on CBS Sports. And it's ironic now, looking back, that the station that I host a show on, WFAN, was part of CBS Radio when I started. And then they've joined the Intercom National Network. But when it started, it was part of CBS Radio. I tried to get in contact with that professor to tell him, you know, what he did for me. You know, he ignited that passion in me, but I couldn't. And I never heard from him again. And what happened was, after my CBS Sports presentation, I sat down and he said, I want to talk to you after class. And I sat there for the next two and a half hours, like, oh my God, did I do the wrong network? Did I present it the wrong way? I, I didn't know. I sat there for two and a half hours trying to figure this out. And I remember when he dismissed the class, as I walked towards him, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, you're a little short, but they could throw some heels on you. And I was like, what? He's like, have you ever considered a career in sports media? And I said, No. And he goes, okay, well, my son works for Real Sports, actually, and come by my office hours next week, and I'll put you in touch with him. And I said, okay. And I left. So the, that next week, I, I went and knocked on the door of his office, and nobody answered. And I stood there for a few seconds and kind of shrugged it off and went to class. Never said anything. So here I am now on a national podcast on a major corporation, and I tried to get in contact with him to tell him you know, kind of what he did for me, but... I couldn't, and I never heard from him again. So that next semester, spring of 2010, I did my student teaching seminar. Never paid any mind to this at all. I mean, teaching is fun, but I never wanted to go back and think, what if? So that fall, Tony Reale was the guest of honor at this national Italian conference that I go to every year. And I found myself at, you know, quote unquote, the after party, which was in the hotel lobby. The Boston Red Sox were playing in the World Series. I remember watching it at the same high top table as he was. And I kind of told him this story, and he said, oh, yeah, you uh, you got a Twitter? I was like, yeah. He goes, you got a blog? I said, not yet. He goes, well, you go home, you make a blog, and you link them together. That's your start. My God, I went home that weekend. I wrote my first post about Alex Rodriguez, I think it was, and I used blog.com, a free site. No, we can't retrieve it because I don't think the site works anymore. But I'd be interested to see you know, what my first piece was, but I'm pretty sure it was on Alex Rodriguez. People started reading, and then people started listening, and people started watching, and people wanted to interact with me via social media. People were interested in what I had to say. So I invested in myself. I bought a $60 USB microphone from Amazon, a $20 piece that connects the USB to your lightning port on your phone. 
from Best Buy. By the way, the guy told me that, oh, no, this wasn't going to work. I said, oh, yeah. I went home, tried it myself, and it worked. I went to Target. I picked up the cheapest video camera they had there. I think it was like $125. Went on Amazon, bought myself a tripod because I can't really keep expecting my friends to take off of work and stuff and, and cancel their plans to, to do things with me. So I bought a tripod. I paid for a domain name, which I still have today. Still pay for it today. I think that's $100 a year. I don't have much time to add to it anymore, but it still serves as my digital portfolio. I pay for a SoundCloud account. I got that set up. I got my YouTube account set up, my very own site on WordPress, and I started to really get to work. Using that, I applied for and I got press credentials for a few different things. I mean, I did everything. I did, still do, book reviews and interviews with professional players at charity events, at kids' camps, mostly those two things, and I never said no to anything. And I still don't. And eventually, after a couple years it took, I got my first credential. And it was for a New York Liberty game. And they were playing the visiting Washington Mystics at Madison Square Garden. I packed up my video camera and my microphone and took my car to Madison Square Garden in New York City, Manhattan. Paid for parking, parked my car and walked across the street. And I walked onto the floor at Madison Square Garden. And it was an awesome experience. And after that game... They opened up the visitor's locker room first. So the first professional locker room that I was ever in was the Washington Mystics. And the first player I ever interviewed in a locker room after a game was Christy Tolliver, then Elena Deladon, and then I headed over to the Liberty locker room. Everything I've ever been credentialed for or had a pass for, I have every single pass still. I know this is going to sound really cliche, but you know a lot of time went into this. But it, it doesn't feel like it. Because if you do something you love, then it doesn't really feel like work. And I know that's such a cliche, but it's so true. Like to drive from North Jersey to Long Island, for example, which I, I did. I did that to interview Noah Syndergaard for literally like a four minute interview. I drove from North Jersey to Long Island to interview Didi Gregorius for that was actually like an eight minute interview one on one, which was excellent, which is great. If you know, if you're looking at a map, you're like, well, that's not that far. If you're not from around here. Oh, it's far. There is traffic. There is a $16 George Washington bridge toll involved. It's a nightmare. But I'm so glad I did it. In the beginning, I was going to Italian restaurants where the Jets were having their weekend radio shows. And I'd go there with my little $60 microphone from, from Amazon, and I'd be asking them some questions too on the side. That was the beginnings, really. And then I started doing these media timeouts at these kids' camps, which I've talked about, meaning Syndergaard and Gregorius. And these are big-name guys. It was the Eric Decker one that I went to that kind of was like a game-changer for me because I know this sounds like silly, but like up until that point, I was asking kind of questions that these players have talked about before. I realized in my preparation for that camp that time that it's my job to tell the story of something that people haven't heard about before. And I'm not trying to be all TMZ. I mean, that's not me. You guys, if you listen to my work, you know that it's not that. It's logical takes, not hot takes. I always say that. But I, you know, I, I sat there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask him something that nobody's asked him before because the season hasn't started yet. The OTAs haven't started yet. And I asked him about Chan Galley's offensive scheme and, and the change that would bring to the Jets. And he kind of like looked at me and he gave me a great answer. I'm not sure if it took him aback coming from, from me, from a woman to know about that. I, I mean, I don't know. But he kind of looked at me, paused, and he, and he gave a great answer. And I just think that over the course of time, in the beginning, you don't want to upset an athlete. You don't want to, I don't know, you, you just don't want to upset the apple cart. But there comes a point and there's a turning point. And for me, it was with Eric Decker that you're like, you know what? It's my responsibility to ask something that hasn't been asked before. And I think in the beginning, you're afraid of, well, if I upset the athlete, I'll upset the team and I might not get the access that I want or feel that I deserve. But you just got to do it. 
You just got to go out and ask those questions. By the way, my first interview ever, one and two, at the same event. It was a NYU School of Broadcasting event that I went to. And Harry Carson was on the panel. Christine Rampone from the U.S. Women's National Team was on the panel. Teresa Weatherspoon from the New York Liberty was on the panel. So the first question I ever asked was to Christine Rampone. And I asked her about the new um, soccer federation's rules to, to outlaw heading the ball until a certain age. And I had nothing with me. I did not record anything she said. So I was listening to her answer that question, and I immediately went back to my chair, and I typed on my iPad as much as I could remember what she said. And then once I was done with that, I looked up, and Teresa Weatherspoon was sitting on the stage, her legs hanging over. And I watched the WNBA, and I wish more people did. I went over to her, and I asked her one question only. And this time I recorded it on my phone in voice memos, and I asked her, you might recall that that shot that she had. She took a buzzer-beating shot pretty much the whole length of the court, and I asked her, is that something you practiced? Absolutely not. I, I never did that. Uh, matter of fact, I used to sit and watch uh, after practice is over. Mm-hmm. Becky Hammond would go out, and, and she would do it. She would do it, and the players, you know, they go out and do it for fun. Yeah. Like, nah, nah, I'm the one who handles and get, distributes. But I knew if it ever came down to it, it was possible. You just got to know the technique. I never thought that was going in. Don't, don't get me wrong. Never thought that was going in. That was just a major thing that occurred for us that gave us an opportunity to move to the next game. Yeah, one of the top 15 plays of all time in the WNBA. I'm just thankful for the girls. Yeah. And it went in and gave us an opportunity. Ironically, those are my first two ever interviews, two women in sports. And here I am hosting Power Players, a women in sports podcast. Everything full circle, everybody. And today, oh, I keep track. I've only been turned down for an interview by four people. Peyton Manning. Plaxico Burris, Robbie Anderson, and Quinnen Williams. Their stories for each one of those, I won't get into them now. For the most part, a high percentage of athletes wanted to talk with me. They participated in my trivia contest. They participated in my athlete karaoke, which I was always an invited guest at Anthony Fasano's bocce tournament in northern Jersey. And one year I gave him a karaoke, a complete the Italian song karaoke. And the next year he was like, listen... I'm not doing any karaoke this year. I said, oh, no, I have an Italian language lesson for you today. And, oh, my God, it's just, you know, the rapport you build with them, you know. And I even got Eric Decker one time at a golf outing to sing his wife's songs, his wife, Jesse James Decker, who was, you know, the country singer. And he was singing her songs. I thought that was the best. I mean, and he was in one of the music videos. And I know that these athletes appreciate that I do the research and, and that I know my stuff. So I feel like in a way that, they give me. They gave me more. Who am I? I had a blog, a SoundCloud channel, and a YouTube channel, and they were giving me really good stuff, really good content. I taught myself how to use GarageBand and edit audio. I taught taught myself how to use iMovie, how to edit video. I taught myself how to produce them, how to and how to post them, and how to market them on social media across all the channels: Instagram, which is at Pro Sports Rundown, by the way, Twitter at Coach M C C A R T A N. And at Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. And I wanted more of it. So the next step I took was I audited a sports media course. And, and I'm not made of money, everybody. So I audited a sports media course back at that same school in northern New Jersey. I was teaching full-time. I was coaching. And I was going to graduate school on the weekends. In that course, I taught myself how to use the school's radio station. Something I never was interested in when I was a matriculated student. I made a friend in that class who has helped me in every single chance he can get still to this day. I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for a lot of the people that I've met along the way. Um, A sports agent through him and a couple more people that I'll talk about. 
So I started my own radio show. Every Sunday morning I was on from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. I never missed a show. Ironically, my time slot on WFAN to this day, the big station, is from 2 to 6 a.m. on, you guessed it, Sunday mornings. Hi, Danielle. It's Kevin Avera. I have a question. How did you become interested in sports radio? You know, did you hear it on the radio and decide that's what you wanted to do? Did somebody recommend it to you? I wanted to know how you you became interested in, in doing sports radio. Thanks for the question, Kevin. That's a great question. It's funny because my dad is really into sports radio. Wherever we would go, he would always have sports radio on in the car. And me and my brother and my mother even too would just absolutely kill him over it. We did not want to listen to it. We did not want to hear it. And we preferred music instead. So I actually never really was a hardcore sports radio listener ever. And I think in a way that kind of gives me an advantage because I... I'm not trying to be anybody else. You know, I'm not trying to mimic so-and-so's show. I'm just going up there and doing my own thing, doing my own show, having my own style, not based upon anybody else's quote-unquote style. So it's funny that I was never really, like like I said, a, a hardcore sports radio listener until I kind of realized that, hey, there might be a future for me in this. Things began to open up after that radio show happened. I got my opinions out there in, in video, in audio form because I recorded each one and then went home and posted the video. I got a message on Facebook from somebody I had gone to high school with, and he was a year older than me, but he's a coach at Princeton University, and he said that he was in the office of the communications director uh, just the other day, he said, and that they were looking for someone to do sideline reporting for Princeton women's basketball. And he told them, don't worry, I have the perfect person for you. He asked if I'd be interested in doing it, and if I was, to, to email the director. So I thought about it for, I don't know, about two hours. And I said, okay, I think I'm going to do it. I'd never done sideline reporting. And I emailed the director and they had me on. They had me on for not one, but two seasons. And eventually when they switched over to the ESPN Plus platform, they had no time left in the broadcast due to advertising and stuff for a sideline reporter. So, you know, it was two years, but over those two years, I grew even more. I developed relationships with the young women on the team. And also with the head coach, Courtney Banghart, who probably was the most instrumental in helping me succeed in, in delivering the messages in the broadcast. And she has since gone on to coach the University of North Carolina. And she is probably the smartest coach I've ever talked to in my life. I even filled in a color commentary one or two games. And that I loved because you're involved like a shortstop. You're involved in every single play. I love that part about it. And I found that if you do a good job, People are willing to help you. I now am a part of the Italian-American Baseball Foundation after I conducted interviews with former Yankees at Yankee Stadium and with former Mets at City Field for a company that sells the ultimate fan experience, suites at the games, food included, with former players. From that, I built a relationship with him, and that has snowballed into the Italian-American Baseball Foundation. Every year in Brooklyn, IABF has their annual gala, and it honors prominent Italian-Americans in baseball. I'm talking like Mike Piazza. I'm talking like Joe Girardi, like big name dudes. One day my dad texted me and he said, there's a job opening for a, I'm listening to the morning show and there's a job opening for a New York Jets beat reporter for WFAN. I said, oh yeah? And Twitter has opened up a world of possibility for me. It's just amazing how responsive people have been on Twitter. And I won't put him on the spot here, but somebody at WFAN I messaged DM'd him, and he answered. And he answered with, well, you know, I'm not in charge of that, but here is the email address of Mark Chernoff, our programming director. Email him and see what you can do. I said, okay. 
So I did. I emailed him, and he responded pretty much almost immediately. And he said, could you come to my office tomorrow or Friday? I'd like to speak with you. I'm like, oh, my God. This was a Wednesday. I said, okay, well, sorry now to admit this, but I called in sick on Thursday, and I found myself uh, in lower Manhattan in a corner office that overlooked the Hudson River with the programming director of WFN Radio. While I'm looking out that window, I, I said to myself, like, wow, this is pretty cool. And, I, you know, I introduced myself. I talked about myself, that I'm a teacher, that I'm a coach. And Mark Chernoff said to me, listen, this is not worth your while to make $100 a day to drive down to Florham Park um, to do this. And I said, okay. And then he, he kind of asked me a couple questions about the Mets. I remember one of them being, will David Wright ever play in a game again? And I actually had looked up that in, that injury for my own sports radio show. And, you know, I, I gave him my answer, and the answer was no. And he actually never ended up really playing a full game ever again after that. He asked me about the 1986 Giants, and that was even before I was born. But my dad's a huge Giant fan, and Phil Sims lives locally. And, you know, I knew enough about him to hold conversation. And then he pulled up my website. And my most recent post was um, a book review on a book about Casey Stengel. He said, okay, tell me about this. I said, well, it's a book review. He goes, no, tell me something about this that no one else has talked about. I said, okay, um, well, when I interviewed the author, he was really impressed with the fact that, one, that I actually read the book, <laughs> and the way he knew that was because I referenced a particular episode where when Casey Stengel played, there were cars that actually drove through the outfield during games. I said that, so that was like the most interesting part of the book to me. And we talked a little while longer, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance to have a one-hour sort of like audition tryout on the fan this upcoming summer on an overnight. So we had a handshake deal and, and I left. And sure enough, an email came through and asked me if I can work on, it was a July 27th from 3 to 4 a.m. I was going to get the last hour of the now retired legendary Tony Page's show. And I said, of course. Oh my God, I was so excited. I, I delved into my research and I showed up there and Tony Page was was so nice. And he said, okay, uh, you know, this is how this works. He showed me how the call screener works. And he said, okay, you ready? And I said, okay. And then he walked out of the studio. He hung out for an hour. And I did my thing. And I had Erica Herskowitz on the updates that night. Tony came back in and I thanked him for the time. And I left. And from there, Mark Chernoff said, okay, um, I'd like you to do some fill-in work here and there. And I said, okay, whenever. I made myself available at any time to do it. And then here I am. I found myself with a weekly time slot. Mark Chernoff has been nothing but accommodating at my schedule at every single turn. So when Susan said in that last podcast, episode one of Power Players, that people think they, and the quote I think was, run right on the air or right behind a camera. I mean, I admit I had that attitude too, but I learned quickly that that wasn't the case. She also said that she took jobs that no one really wanted and that she, in essence, created the electronic beat reporter position and went wherever her car took her in this area. I do too. Still, I can't even begin to total up the, the money I've spent in gas, $16 to cross the George Washington Bridge every time. But that's what you have to do. And not to mention the wear and tear on your car of driving down to Princeton University in the women's basketball. First of all, that's far. And second of all, that's wear and tear on your car. All that considered, it's what you have to do. From my talk with pioneer Susan Waldman, unfortunately, we can conclude that there still seems to exist some common threads for women in sport, having to tolerate nonsense, but also in celebrating success. I again invested in myself and enrolled myself in a media boot camp in partnership with the New York Giants. 
with national sports reporter Laura Oakman. From that, not only did I gain a network of women that have been nothing but supportive of each other since the beginning, I was also offered a job in the media relations department for the New York football giants. So far, in one season with them, it's been such an amazing experience, which has led to another amazing experience in the same capacity with the New York Guardians XFL team. So here I am, still teaching, still coaching, with a weekly show on WFAN Radio and a position with, currently with the Guardians XFL team. And that's a little bit about me. And as you learned in episode one, Susan used to get vile things mailed to her via the USPS at her places of work. I get them on Twitter. I don't know which is worse. I'd have to say that maybe getting them like in your hand is worse. But the constant harassment on Twitter, it's up there too. Although I do still feel that I have to prove myself more than any male counterpart. I do know what I'm talking about. And I have and always have had tough skin. And I'm not going to give these Twitter trolls the satisfaction of even mentioning their comments to me on this podcast. Because those keyboard warriors with eggs as their photos on Twitter have so much to say. But they'll never actually call into my show. I talked with Susan Wallman about the MLB getting the worst grade in gender hires from the team level, the team standpoint, from MLB, the NFL, and the NBA. I would love to do a play-by-play. I would love to do color commentary for baseball. But it's like... You don't know exactly where to start. In November, a couple months ago, the New York Yankees actually hired a female hitting coach, Rachel Balkovic. I would try to maybe get her on here. But that made news. That That's not a newsworthy thing. It, it shouldn't be newsworthy. Although it's great, it should be more of the norm. I actually have another promise with a hitting coach, not a New York team, but with a hitting coach, that he said he was going to have me as his guest in the pregame or whatever to, to watch him work and to watch him work with the athlete as a coach, as a hitting coach. I would love to get that perspective. So I'm going to hold him to it, and maybe I'll be on here in the summer talking about it. But as far as the media perspective, wherever you're listening to me right now, across the country, across the world, I want you to think about your favorite sports radio station. Of all the on-air hosts, how many women are there? I can tell you that in the country's original all-sports radio station, where I host a weekly program, there are three of us. Maggie Gray, Lori Rubinson, and me. And Maggie Gray's on every day. Lori and I are on once a weekend. Kim Jones from the NFL Network fills in on occasion. But there's only three of us. Maybe four if you count Kim Jones. And I just, I'm, I'm hoping that this podcast, one, brings to light the need for different perspectives in sports and the need to be accepting of other perspectives in sports. But I've also named it power players, a pun on the hockey term, which exists to assert the female perspective in sports. The intelligent, the informative, and the engaging about 30-minute episodes will be specific to each and every guest. I'm hoping to get players on here, coaches on here, broadcasters, officials, executives. So you guys can come for the guest, or you guys can come for me, the host. But I want you to stay for the adversities and the triumphs of power players in sports. I'm Danielle McCartan for Power Players. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.